All right, let's pray. God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love and strength to follow on the path that you place before us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This morning, we're going to be looking at one of the formative biblical passages on the nature of the sent, the sent church. This text that's been extremely important to the whole missional church movement, a movement, by the way, that helped inspire the start of this church. Um, It's a really important text. And so we're going to look at Luke 10, where Jesus sends out 70 uh, people for mission. He sends them into these towns where Jesus himself was soon to visit. So when I read this text, I first thought about the 80s British punk rockers, The Clash. Anybody? Okay, so we got a few. Um, We're going to try our hands. We were going to see if we could work this in. It didn't quite work out with the rest of the stuff. So we're going to try our hand at that song at the end after the benediction so that we don't count it as worship. (laughs) But we'll try it and we'll see how it goes. Um, And so so here's like Rolling Stone. I looked this up because I think this stuff is fun. Um, Rolling Stone says that Should I Stay or Should I Go is the 228th greatest rock and roll song of all time. All right, so it's it's pretty high on the list. Um, And here's the chorus. We'll put it up there because it's pretty important. Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? If I go, this is the key. If I go, there will be trouble. But if I stay, it will be double. So come on and let me know. Should I stay or should I go? So we think about this really simple question, right? Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you had to answer that question? Everybody has, right? Anyone, does anything just jump to mind that somebody wants to share? I'm going to share at least one somewhere in here. Uh, yeah, Andrew, you got one? That action survey a couple years ago with that mobile Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Andrew and I and Howard Anderson had spent, what, 10, 12, we were about somewhere on the 10 to 12 hour range underneath a trailer with dripping toilet water and stuff on. Yes, that was tough. That was a good question because we were getting calls like, what are you still doing there? <laughs> Andrew's like, I'm out of here. So you decided. You finally, at one point, you're just like, all right, I'm, I'm done. Yeah, and it was the right decision, by the way. Um, Definitely the right decision. Other, any other hands go up that someone that just was, this just something jumped out at you, should I stay or should I go? Anyone else want to share something before we move on? Um, So the guy who wrote the song, Mick Jones, he wrote these lyrics, he asks that question three times in every chorus, right? But then he sings within the same chorus, if I go, there will be trouble, but if I stay, it will be double. So he actually answers his own question, right? So he asks it three times, but really the answer is right there. So what is he supposed to do? Is he supposed to stay or is he supposed to go? What's he supposed to do? He's supposed to go, right? If he stays, yeah, it's going to be hard. <laughs> but if he, if, he, uh, if he stays, it's going to be doubled. If he goes, there's going to be trouble, right? And so that, this is where we're going here. Um, And so he's supposed to leave. He's supposed to clearly supposed to go. And Jesus in Luke 10 is going to say the same thing. Jesus is going to say, uh, he's going to answer the question the same way. And so what I was wondering made me think of is like, is there even such a thing as a missionless Christian? A missionless church or a churchless mission, they're like, they're theological oxymorons, right? It just, they, they don't make sense. And so the missional church conversation Um, is rooted in God's mission, in, through, and for the sake of the world. 
And so missional disciple-making would imply that a Christian disciple's life extends and faces outward. It's more than an hour of Sunday worship. Uh, it's more about joining God on mission in the world, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our places of work, in our communities, um, all the way to f- these faraway places, too. And so we worship this God who sends. And so this morning, we're going to reflect for a few moments on the sent nature of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, uh, both some of the challenges and some of the joys. And so I can't help but wonder if Jesus would agree with Mick Jones of The Clash, that if you go, you will face trouble, but if you stay, it will be doubled. All right? So you get to decide for yourself. Um, I've kind of already given you the answer, but you can disagree with me if you want. Here we go, Luke 10, 1 to 11. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest upon that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house whenever you enter a town, and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. The word of the Lord. So normally when we think of Jesus' disciples, we think of the 12, but there were more. Uh, like any successful startup or, uh, you know, like startup organization or movement, Jesus is scaling up. And so he's already taught uh, the, conti- the conditions for discipleship that were in Luke chapter 9. We looked at some of those last week. Um, now he sends the 70 out ahead of him um, because he planned to stop in these towns and villages as he was on his way to Jerusalem. And so word had been getting around about this miracle-working teacher. People in these towns, they would have heard of Jesus, and so they're probably anticipating and pretty excited about the fact uh, that Jesus is coming. They're they're probably really eager to meet him. And so the 70 were sent out by Jesus to announce his coming. They're sent out to prepare people for his arrival. And so the harvest was plentiful. And perhaps today, the harvest is just as plentiful as it was then. See if you knew this. The fastest-growing religious affiliation today, anybody? The nuns, no religious affiliation. They're the fastest, that's the fastest growing religious affiliation. They check the nun box when they get to that question on the survey, right? And so we know that worship attendance in America is way down. In some parts of the world, it's up, but most it's way down. Um, And the nuns and the duns, as we call them, they check the nun box or the duns. So we think about that word, done with church, done with institution religious institutions, the nuns and the duns are all around us. And so Jesus, we think about these kind of people today, and Jesus sends out the 70 into the world of their version of the nuns and duns, right? To look for people of peace, it says. People who might be receptive to Jesus' message. 
um, of the coming kingdom of God. And so as we know, numbers in the Bible, they almost always mean something. They're very intentional. So when you see a number like 70, you have to ask yourself, why 70? I'm going to answer it, but I'm just saying with a disclaimer. I can't prove that I'm right about this, but I think I am. Why 70? And so when I looked at the number 70, I went back to Genesis 10. Genesis 10 has uh, something called the table of the nations. You know how many nations there were? 70, right? Um, and so what the heck is going on here? In Genesis 10, the, the, the table of nations includes this list of the founders of 70 nations that were all the descendants of Noah's three sons. And they list out, it's crazy, you probably don't want to read them all. Um, why? And that, I, think this is, I think this is the reason. And I think it's really important that Luke is hinting at the expansion of Jesus' mission into the world of all the nations, especially non-Jewish Gentile peoples. And so the 70 uh, in Genesis 10 represent all the people of the world, all the people of the earth. And I think what Luke is trying to do is he's trying to have us pick up on the fact that Jesus is for everybody. And I think this is exactly what he's doing. All nations, all kinds, the whole world, not for some and not for others. I think he's, this is exactly what he's trying to say when he, Jesus sends out the 70. These 70 are to connect to and go to and point the entire world to the kingdom of God that has already come near in Jesus, right? And so Jesus says he's looking for help. He's looking for laborers. Now we're encouraged, it says, to pray that God will find and send these laborers for the vast harvest that's out there. Jesus is looking for laborers. Jesus is looking for people like you and for me to join Jesus and go with him on mission. Now, laborer, anybody love that word? Like, this just hit me this morning. I didn't really write anything about this. It just hit me this morning. Like, we, we, who wants, we like, I actually enjoy a little bit of manual labor here and there, uh, but like Action Serve Day, it's, it's hard work. Nick, you were carrying giant, how's your back the next day? It was okay? All right. He was carrying stumps that had to weigh, what, 100, close to 100 pounds? <laughs> yeah. Um, Jesus is looking for laborers. We think about that word for a minute. Um, but here's, here's a couple things about these laborers that Jesus sends out. Here's a couple characteristics, things that just I pulled right out of the text. The work of these laborers is not going to be easy. And so Jesus says he's sending them out like lambs among wolves. Those are the words. How fun does that, how's that sound to you? Um, Not great. It sounds worse than picking up 100-pound stumps. Like, this is not going to be good. Um, They're not professional Christians. So look, these 70 held no advanced theological degrees, you know? They got nothing on Dale, um, right? And so this is the the best one, is they're de-equipped for mission, just Try to wrap your head around that one for a little bit. When we do our best to equip people for mission, Jesus de-equips the 70. They have to travel light, really, really light. Then they're to look for people of peace, and they're to practice peace as they go. Then finally, they're to either receive hospitality, and if they don't receive hospitality, they're to move on to the next place. And so being sent by Jesus, we can just see this list right here. It's going to be hard work. The word laborers gives us a clue. These characteristics give us even more of a clue that this world is a violent and difficult place. There's plenty of wolfy people out there, you know, and they're unreceptive 
and even hostile to Jesus, hostile to the mission of Jesus, hostile to Jesus' followers. So I've said this before, but I don't know if it's the same, Dale, with you if you have this experience, but for me, when I tell somebody what I do, it's a roll of the dice. Like, I just don't know what's going to happen. I usually just kind of brace myself because some people will mildly be receptive. At least they won't be rude. Um, and I have other people that'll just walk, turn and walk away. I've had that happen multiple times. Oh, I'm a pastor. They're just like, I'm out. And they, don't, they don't say another word to me. They just leave. Um, and so that's, that's not easy. Does that happen? Has that ever happened to you? Okay. So it's not just, I'm glad. Because <laughs> I was worried that maybe it was just something about me. But all right. Yeah, it might be. I know. That's true. And so I was kind of thinking, like, being a Christian in our 21st century post-Christian context, it's actually getting increasingly more and more difficult because more and more people are either indifferent to or hostile to Jesus. And so Jesus sends out these 70 with nothing. They're not even sent out, and the text makes a big point of this. They're not even sent out with the like, customary travel basics. No toothbrush, no toiletries, no extra socks or underwear, no shirt, no, you know? It's like, have you ever done that before? Deliberately gone on a trip and just brought absolutely nothing? Like, this is against everything. I'm, like, I'm really a minimalist type of person, but when I do some sort of adventure, I'm all about preparation, right? I want to make sure that I have all the things that I'm going to need to be safe, uh, first of all. And so Jesus, what does he do? He sends them out without even any sandals, no shoes. So he de-equips them for mission. It's like, of course, you're supposed to answer this question. What is Luke trying to say? Why are they making such a big deal out at this point? I, I just thought of three things that kind of jumped out at me. First, I think Jesus is pointing to the urgency of the mission. And so he even says, greet no one on the road. Does that jump out to anyone? Does Jesus want us to be rude? Like, don't even say hi to people when you pass them. Like, is that really what Jesus is telling us to be rude? No, what he's, what he's communicating is there's a sense of urgency, right? This is really important stuff. And so second, he doesn't want them to be distracted by their stuff or their comforts or their possessions. He doesn't want these peripheral things to get in the way of what's most important. So he's setting these priorities. And finally, he, what he's looking for is just total reliance and dependence upon the sender, who in this passage he calls the Lord of the harvest. And so he wants the 70 to rely on God to provide for all of their needs and for their safety. And so they were to use this customary Jewish greeting of peace, shalom, to look for people of peace. And when they found these receptive people, they were supposed to stay a little while, right? Relying on the hospitality of probably total strangers. This is another fascinating aspect of Jesus's mission. And so we, the church, we're used to being the place of hospitality. Think about this. We make a really big deal out of it here. We do it really well. Kathy, you set up some hospitality stuff. Did you have some help today with hospitality? Or was it Knowlton's? Did you guys help out? See, we make a big deal out of this. Somebody each week here uh, sets up and tries to make this place hospitable with coffee and donuts and other things. And we're, we focus on this. It's important to be welcoming and hospitable, especially to visitors. And rightly so. This is a good thing. But what does Jesus do? He flips it upside down. He reverses it. We're sent out, and these 70 must rely and receive the hospitality of others. 
So I kind of started thinking about this. Like, we live in this world of reciprocity when it comes to hospitality. How many people love a freeloader? Anybody? Can you think of one freeloader in your mind? Don't say their names out loud, especially like if they're in the room. This could get, this could get bad. Why are you, you're pointing at your daughter, um, my daughter. <laughs> um, nobody likes a freeloader, right? Like, a freeloader, it's just take and take and take, and rarely does, does the freeloader type uh, give or reciprocate back. Who wants to be taken advantage of, right? Nobody wants to be taken advantage of. And so if we welcome somebody into our home, what's our expectation? If it goes halfway decent, we expect them to reciprocate, right? We want them to then do the same thing for us. Now, Jesus, think about Jesus for a minute, was very often, most often, on the receiving end of gracious hospitality. So I kind of started thinking about this. Like, he's, a lot of the scriptures in the New Testament revolve with, around Jesus' food and a table. A lot. So I was thinking about it. Jesus is almost always either on his way to eat, he's at a table eating with others, or he's up and leaving from the table eating with others. How many dinner parties did Jesus host? I don't know the answer to this question. Can anyone think of any? Did Jesus host the Last Supper? Maybe? I don't know. Maybe he hosted the Last Supper. How many dinner parties did he go to? A lot. All right? A lot in Scripture. And so we see Jesus often as a guest at the table of others, receiving gracious hospitality from other people, but rarely is Jesus the one that's gathering people and around his table. We just don't see that. We don't even know that Jesus had a table. I don't think he even had one. He maybe had Peter's. If Peter's house was their kind of hub, that was probably the closest thing to a table that Jesus had. And so sharing a meal for Luke is kind of one of the things that defines hospitality. And the emphasis here is on being a gracious recipient of hospitality, which is really interesting. And now eating that which is set before you in someone else's home is common etiquette today. My parents taught me that when I was a kid. But I'm not going to lie. I still worry about this all the time and see if I'm alone. When you go to someone else's house for dinner, do you ever worry about what you're going to eat? Dan's no, Kessie's yes. This is perfect. Right? Does anyone ever wonder, like, oh, what if they serve something and fill in the blank that you just can't stand? Like, what would you do? I mean, I have that. I've got, I know what that is. Like, if I go to your house and you serve stewed tomatoes, I'm in serious trouble. Like, what am I going to do? I, honestly, I can't eat them, so what am I going to do? So I had a standoff once with my dad. This was really important to my dad. My dad would say the same thing. He'd be like, look, if you want to get up from this dinner table, you are going to clear your plate, right? So one day, he and I had a standoff over the tomato. Um, it did not go well, all right? So, like, I'm serious. I, I, thought, I think I must have sat there for a couple hours. Like, it just, I, my family's, everybody's long gone. It's me and the dog. Um, and I've got this tomato. Okay, Linda, I'm getting there. So I did. I started taking the tomato pieces and putting them under the table. Do you know how loud? You've got a golden retriever. How loud is your golden retriever when he's... Okay, so... Exactly. I got caught. That didn't go well. Um, but I still had the rest of the tomatoes there on the plate. Um, and I sit there for what seems like hours. Finally, I'm like, all right, we're going to eat it. Uh, it. Just to say it didn't stay down for long, all right? That is one way to get excused from a dinner table right there. So one favor, like if you ever welcome me into your home, please 
Don't put a bunch of tomatoes in front of me and then say, well, you said in your sermon you have to eat what is set before you. Because um, we're going to have a problem. I'm just letting you know. So the 70, right? The 70 encountered people of peace. They were supposed to do two things. They're first supposed to announce the kingdom of God had come near in Jesus. So there's this announcement. There's this verbal uh, evangelism, whatever word you want to use. But they're supposed to say something. The kingdom of God has come near in this person in Jesus. And then they're supposed to demonstrate it through action. So we see right here the gospel in word and in deed. So they're sent out. And it says a couple things, which is really cool, to bring life where there's decay. They're sent out to bring wholeness where things are broken. They're sent out to heal that which is diseased. And when people are not receptive, this, I think, is some fun stuff. They're still called to remain people of peace. Just a chapter before this, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, they visit a Samaritan village. The Samaritan village does not receive Jesus. You know what James and John said? They said, Jesus, you want to rain down some fire on these guys and destroy them? Seriously. That's what they wanted to do. And Jesus says, that's, that's, not, the, that's not what we're doing here. No fire, no violence, no revenge. And so this, a couple weeks, maybe it's next week is the Good Samaritans. We actually will talk about Samaritans a little bit more. Um, Jesus says something quite different. He just says, just shake the dust off your feet and move on, and leave the accountability piece, leave the judgment to God. So in our home, we have an expression for this uh, that we use all the time that means the exact same thing as what Jesus is trying to say. In our house, we say, be the duck, don't we? We say it all the time. Why be the duck, you ask? Because you really want to know, right? What happens when the water hits the back of a duck? It just beads and rolls right off, right? So that, that's what we say in our house. We just say, oh, be the duck. Like, let it go. Let it roll off your back. It's not that big, big a deal. And Jesus says, shake the dust off your sandals and move on to look for the next person of peace. And so the stuff I started wondering about at the end is why are there so few laborers? Why are there so few people that are willing to go when sent? Like, I read Luke 10, the first thing I thought of was The Clash, and I was singing that song in my head. But the next thing I thought of was the Super Bowl, all right? And here's why. How many of you watched the last one with Patriots and the Rams, the most boring Super Bowl ever? Oh, the Patriots. Bob's not here today. I think Bob was like the one Patriots fan. Was there, was there anybody else that, it's okay to admit it, no? <laughs> Lauren, you were like thinking about it? You, you're not. Okay, all right. Uh, but Bob's not here, otherwise I would have had a good conversation with him. 100 million people plus watched the Super Bowl. Want to know how many people played in it? 11 at a time. 22 people. 22 players, 100 million people watching. 100 million spectators and 22 participants. And so this is where my mind went. And I started wondering, um, when I read Luke 10, I wondered if Jesus isn't saying something like this. Like, I want you on the field, out of the stands, off the sideline, up off the couch, and into the game, looking to take that 22 participants and even those numbers out a little bit. Jesus is looking for laborers. And so I was struck by the fact that Jesus said, pray not for more observers, pray not for more spectators, pray not for more religious consumers, but for laborers, Jesus says, who will actually go when sent. So for me, I'll give, this is the one example I was going to share. When we started Lightshine, I began to sense this call um, to start a church 
And I was extremely reluctant to go when sent. I knew I was being sent, and I still was reluctant to go. I was pretty happy. I had a job I liked, a place I was useful and was serving well, something I was good at. And at first, I was like, I think God's called the wrong person. You know, so I, had, I, had, I was like the Jonah of the church planning world. Like, I tried everything to get out of doing this. I'm really honest about it. I just did not think, it was too risky. And I was afraid to risk, and this is incredible, but I actually had a lot of friends and some pastor types that told me for sure, they said, don't do it, you're going to fail. Like right to my face, like don't do it, you're going to fail, your kids aren't going to be able to go to college. You're gonna, they, it got like really dramatic. Um, I'm dead serious too, and this, this all caused me to start thinking like, do I really want to risk? Uh, do I really want to take this risk? And in the end, after this kind of really long process of prayer and discernment, what I, what I realized, I came to this, this one thing, that if I refused to go when sent, I would be unfaithful. And that was the one thing I could, I could rationalize and make excuses and do all kinds of things, but the one thing I could not do was be unfaithful. And so I knew at that moment, that was the moment I finally said, well, I know I'm being sent, and if I, if I refuse to go, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and I can't live with that. So I went. And so I had this feeling like, uh, like Mick Jones of The Clash. If I go, there will be trouble. I knew it was going to be hard. But if I stay, it's going to be double, because I'm going to be held accountable someday for refusing to go when being sent. And the truth is that mission is sending. Mission requires movement. Movement, by definition, suggests motion and action. And Luke 10 reminds us that all disciples are laborers. All are laborers. All are laborers that are sent because the harvest is plentiful. And so we may not be sent very far. I was sent uh, 1.2 miles, maybe. Um, you may be sent to a neighbor, to a family member, to a friend who's hurting. Uh, you may be sent to an organization that works in our community. You may be sent further away. Uh, it may not be very far. But the question that we really have to kind of individually and even collectively answer is, is this, where and to whom does Jesus want to send you? And I think this is the question that we have to wrestle with a little bit. And maybe we might pray something like this, Lord, it starts with me. Whatever I have to offer, I offer to you, send me. And we see that all over scripture. And when we go at the, actually in a, into a verse that we didn't read, we read this beautiful promise from Jesus, the sent out our promised the joy that our status in heaven is secure. And he says that we belong to God and have a place with Jesus that begins now and stretches into eternity. So if we continue to verse 20 that I didn't read, it says, rejoice that our names are written in heaven. It's a nice promise for those that go. Rejoice that our names are written in heaven. So we are truly the gathered and scattered people of God. Amen. Well, I wonder if, let's see.